a little different or what. Um, but I realized, yeah, Christmas is pretty much in one week. And I realized that I had not taken my annual pilgrimage to the mall. Because I love to go to the mall every year and people watch and shop and get some last minute gifts. And so I, I said to Emily, you know what, we have to go. We have to go to the mall. And I don't know if you've been to the mall this time of year. Any malls in the Atlanta area, but they're a little bit crazy around Christmas time, and people act a little wild in the parking lots and all around, but we, we faced it all, and as we went to the mall at Christmas, we actually found a lot of signs of joy in the midst of all of the craziness and the activity, and the first sign of joy we encountered was at GameStop, and it was actually this sign of joy right here. It said, joy to the players, and so, you know, I saw that sign. I was like, okay, so we got, got some joy going on here, but then I thought about it, and I said, you know what? If somebody gives me a video game... That's not going to bring joy to my household because Emily will be furious if I spend hours upon hours playing video games around Christmas time or in the new year. And so we, we kept moving. We said, you know what? That's not going to bring joy to our household. So we kept moving. I kept looking for joy in other places. And then I came upon this store, which had joy in the form of a candle. And now, I don't know if anybody has ever smelled joy. Anybody in here smelled joy before? But joy smelled like a mix of gingerbread cookies, Christmas trees, sugar cookies, and mistletoe. It was not a good combination. It was just like every Christmas flavor thrown into the jar, so we kept moving. We're like, you know what? That's not the kind of joy we need. But then I came upon a great place that promised joy to the world in the form of a pretzel, and that was at Auntie Anne's Pretzel Place. And if you ever have one of those, you know that they tend to bring joy. But then, you know, the carbs hit your system, and then you have to take a nap, and you're already at the mall, and so you're grouchy, and so, you, you know, it's like, okay, I don't want that. But on going into the mall, I found a place that I really thought could bring me a lot of joy because I'd never seen anything like it. It was brand new, and it was this stand, I think we have a picture up here, called Seriously Dough, and it was edible cookie dough. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? And I was like, this is going to bring me joy. This is going to bring me a lot of joy because I'd never seen just raw cookie dough that they served by the scoop, by the, by the mound. And so I got some of the raw cookie dough and I ate it. And, you know, it brought me joy for about 25 minutes. And then I kind of got a headache and I realized that, you know, you can eat this much ice cream and it's okay. But when you eat this much cookie dough, it's not, it's not the same. And so as, as we were around the mall and we were shopping and everything, I was reminded once again that, you know, joy doesn't come from any of this stuff. Joy doesn't come from stuff that we buy. Really, true joy doesn't even come from stuff we give. True joy is a gift from God. And it's something that's deep inside of us. It's something that leads us to singing sometimes. It leads us to dancing. It's contagious. Joy is something that transforms us. And I was reminded once again that joy is the gift that Jesus brings at Christmas. And when we return to this very first Christmas story, which we've been doing the last few weeks, we find that it is a story of joy. If you were with us last week, you were with us when we read Mary's story, when Mary found out that she was going to be the mother of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we talked about how Mary found every reason why she shouldn't do it. She looked all of the reasons why this was a crazy idea in the face, and she said yes to God anyway. She said, yes, I'm your humble servant, and I will serve you joyfully. And this week, we're continuing in this Christmas story as outlined by Luke in his gospel. 
And we're continuing in the scene right after Mary finds out that she's going to give birth to Jesus. And we find that Mary has traveled nine days and over 80 miles as a pregnant woman to her relative Elizabeth's house in the Judean hill country. And now if you remember, Elizabeth is also pregnant. She has had this miraculous pregnancy because she was too old to be pregnant, her and Zechariah, but God miraculously gave them a child who was going to pave the way for Jesus. Their son was going to be John the Baptist. And so here in today's scene, we find Mary and we find Elizabeth, these two women who are miraculously pregnant, sharing in great joy together, marveling at what God is going to do in them and through them. And as they share in this experience, Mary breaks out into a song of joy. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to to continue along with us in this passage. We're continuing in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some out at the Welcome Center. We'd love to give you one as our free gift to you um, this Christmas. And so beginning in verse 39, Luke writes this. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then here we find Mary busting out into a joyous song. Mary says this, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then... She returned home. I don't know if you've noticed this odd detail as we return to some of these characters and some of these stories surrounding the very first Christmas. But what we find is that a lot of the main characters in this story are women and babies. And now, in that culture 2,000 years ago, that would have been kind of unexpected. And a little bit unheard of because women were generally treated as second class, always below men. And babies and children were treated with very little importance in their culture. Babies and children weren't the center of people's worlds like they can be today. No, no, often they were just pushed to the side and they were an afterthought. And so we see this unexpected thing happening as God is doing something amazing and miraculous through these women and through the children in their wombs. But that's not the only kind of unexpected thing we see in this story. There's a lot of unexpected things. We find that, well, Mary, a virgin, is pregnant with Jesus, and Elizabeth, who is too old, now has a child as well. 
And then we also find that the first person to recognize Jesus and celebrate who he is is John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb. Did you catch that in verse 41? In verse 41, we see that upon hearing Mary's greeting, John leaped with joy. I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy, right? It's like a three-year-old saying the Holy Spirit's here. That's a little wild. That's a little different. But then we also have this more subtle kind of unexpected thing going on. And that is that Elizabeth is giving Mary honor and respect. And that's a little unexpected because in their culture, they had an honor culture in which the younger people gave respect to their elders. And here we find Elizabeth saying to Mary, no, why am I so favored that you would come to me? And she calls Elizabeth, she calls Mary blessed multiple times. And so we kind of see this, this switching of roles here. And then after they have this greeting together, we find Mary's song which is known as the Magnificat. And now if you grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, you're probably familiar with this song because it, it has a prominent place in, in their life and in their liturgy and in their church services together. And Magnificat comes from the Latin translation of this song, and it's simply the first line of it. But this song is Mary singing praise and joy to God. And it's a great song because in this song, Mary looks forward to what Jesus is going to do in this world. She looks forward and she goes ahead and is interpreting all of the mighty things that Jesus is going to do. And if you notice, when she's narrating these things, she says them in the past tense. She says, He has performed mighty deeds. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers. He's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry. He has sent the rich away empty. He's fulfilled the promises to Abraham. He has extended mercy. Mary is saying that God through Jesus Christ has already done all of these things, which is a bit odd because he's not even born yet. But Mary is able to say all of these things because she's trusting God in advance. She trusts God so much that she's already proclaiming that these promises are going to come to pass. And so she's saying, look, consider all of these things done. Consider all of these things done changed and transformed in this world and mary in the song also celebrates that god has looked upon her a lowly poor unwed mother and god has chosen her to be the one who helps bring about salvation in the world god didn't choose the rulers the powerful the richer the mighty no god has done something very unexpected very different god has chosen someone like mary and when we kind of zoom out and we step back from this whole scene and a lot of these events surrounding the very first Christmas, here's what we find. With Jesus' arrival comes reversal. With Jesus' arrival comes reversal. We see these reversals happening right here. As Mary, someone who's poor and humble, becomes great. As the poor are lifted up. And all of these reversals, they continue happening throughout Jesus' life. Jesus continues reversing things through his ministry, through his death, and through his resurrection. And throughout his entire life, Jesus was constantly reversing people's expectations and people's situations. Because a lot of people, when they thought Jesus was going to come, when they thought the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world was going to come, they thought he was going to come as a mighty military ruler. They thought he was going to come and he was going to put people in his place. 
that he was going to come and, and have this amazing army alongside of him. But Jesus, he did the exact opposite. He didn't come as one with all of this power. No, he came as a poor baby who cried and who needed a lot of help. And then as Jesus grew up, we find that the kingdom that he established, the kingdom without end, it was also kind of unexpected as well. It reversed their expectations. You see, they were used to people who had kingdoms of this world where the powerful, the rich, the influential were at the top, but Jesus' kingdom, it was actually flipped. It was reversed. People who were poor, who were powerless, who were needy, people who were outcast, the least, the last, and the lost, those people were on the top of Jesus' kingdom. He gave them, people who were willing to be servants, the primary place. And when Jesus hung out with these people, the poor, the outcast, the sick, the marginalized, all of these people that he loved, the religious people hated it. They hated it because they expected the Savior of the world to hang out with them, the people who were deemed clean, the people who were pure, the people who looked like they had their lives together. But Jesus was doing something very different. He was busting their expectations. And as he hung out with these people, he helped transform and reverse their situation. If you read throughout Luke's gospel, you'll find that when Jesus found someone who was hungry, he fed them. When Jesus found someone who was thirsty, he gave them something to drink. When Jesus found people who were at the bottom of society, he moved them to the top of his kingdom. When Jesus entered a world that was dark and full of sin, he brought light and salvation. And as these people's lives began to reverse, they experienced great joy. They experienced joy because they discovered that money, power, influence all of these things that the world had told them that they needed that they didn't need any of that actually all they needed was jesus they had great joy as they discovered that when they opened up their hearts and their lives and let jesus come in that everything could change and everything could change for the better and the good news for you and i today is that now that jesus has risen from the dead now that he's reversed death and he reigns in heaven he continues this work of reversing things. And he wants to reverse things in your life, and he wants to reverse things in my life, and he has the power to do it. Lately, I've been waking up in the morning to a local radio show. And this radio show, you know, I'm always trying to find a new way to help me wake up a little bit better, and so I just put on the radio show, and they're always talking about funny stuff. And this past week, they were talking about Christmas trees. And now, I'm kind of a traditionalist. I just have one Christmas tree in my house. But they were talking to people who had tons of Christmas trees. Anybody here have like more than three trees in their house? Okay, three of you. Okay, yeah, y'all are too shy to admit it. I'm not hating on you. I'm not hating on you. But they were talking about people who had multiple trees in their house. You know, people with the food tree, the cat tree, the Tennessee tree. You know, all these themed trees that people have. And as they were talking about this on the radio, I was half asleep. They mentioned this new thing, an upside-down Christmas tree. Have you all heard of this? Okay, so of course, I had to Google it because I'm like, i, I got to wake up and figure out what this new trend is, the upside-down Christmas tree. And what it is is an upside-down Christmas tree. 
It is turned up. And so like in nice places like malls and hotels, they, they attach it to the ceiling. But actually Target at home and other stores sell upside down Christmas trees as well that have a stand at the bottom. And so as I was looking up pictures of this and reading articles, I actually discovered that these are actually quite controversial these days because some people love them and some people hate them. Some people say that they're actually rooted in 12th century tradition where Christians would hang trees upside down as a symbol of the cross or of the Holy Trinity. But other people say, yeah, no, I don't believe that stuff. Maybe they did that back then. But really, the reason people have these trees now is to make a fashion statement and to make a trendy statement. And people have these trees so that their cats don't climb up them and get all into the ornaments. And retailers love these trees because it allows them to put more of their stuff for sale at the bottom of the trees. And so people have pretty controversial opinions on this. And on the radio, they were going in about the upside-down Christmas tree and everything. And I don't know how you personally feel about it or if you have one of these in your house. But as I've been thinking about it this week, I've been thinking that it's actually not a terrible symbol for Christmas. Because what the upside-down Christmas tree reminds us of is that with Jesus' arrival into this world, he wants to reverse things. He wants to turn things upside down, or maybe we'd say right side up. They're a reminder that Jesus wants to change things in our lives when we invite him in. So I want to share with you a few things that I think Jesus wants to reverse in our lives this Christmas. Things that we find when we return to the Christmas story that Jesus wants to do in us and for us. And the first thing I think that Jesus wants to reverse in our lives is that Jesus wants to reverse how we see God. Because I I don't know about you, when you close your eyes and you think about what God looks like. But for a lot of us, God looks a lot like Santa Claus, right? An old guy. An old guy who lives in a distant, far-off place. And some of us, we feel like God, when we we think of God in our mind, that God is really disconnected and doesn't care about much going on in our world. That's some of us. But others of us, we feel like, yeah, God is far off and maybe God looks a little bit like Santa Claus. But God is actually very concerned in our day-to-day lives because God sees us when we're sleeping, He knows when we're awake, and He's making a list of who's been bad or good for goodness sake. Is that how the end of it goes? Yeah. We think that God is is this this person up there who's just waiting to get us and he's just tracking all of our movements and all of the ways we've messed up. But when we return to Christmas, I, I think what we find is that Jesus, he wants to reverse these conceptions of God. He wants us to see that God isn't someone who lives far off and is far away and isn't concerned with our world or is just concerned with our world so that he can judge us and condemn us. No, at Christmas we discover that God is intimately familiar with our world. We find that God has entered into our world through Jesus Christ and God knows what it's like to be hungry. God knows what it's like to struggle. God knows what it's like to be tempted. God knows what it's like to be you and I. He's experienced all of the experiences that we'll have as people. He identifies with us. 
And he came into this world not to judge us, not to condemn us, not to bring out his list and say, look, here's all the things you've been doing wrong. No, what we discover at Christmas is that God comes into this world. God steps into the story so that he can redeem us and save us because he loves us so, so much. Jesus wants us to reverse how we see God. Jesus wants to, us to see that he is God. He is God with us, who loves us and cares about us. And when we begin to reverse how we see God, everything in our life changes. How we pray changes. How we read the Bible changes. And a lot of other things change as well. And I think one of those other things that God wants to change and to reverse in our life is how we see other people also. Jesus, he wants to reverse how we see God. He also wants to reverse how we see other people. A few years ago, I was going to church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And if you've never been to Chapel Hill, it's a beautiful downtown area. And it's kind of eclectic because you have the young college students who are kind of preppy. You have the urban professionals. But then you have a large homeless population as well right there on Franklin Street in downtown. And the church I was attending at the time met right there on the main drag. And it met in a movie theater. And as I was on my way to church one winter day, this guy was out front and he was homeless. And he was asking for money. So as I was going to church that day, I passed by him like I did many other people. And, you know, I, I didn't really look at him. And I said, look, I don't have any cash because I, I generally don't carry cash. So I went to church and we had coffee and donuts. And it's a lot like this. You know, they had the lights down and we did our praise and worship set. And they asked everybody to greet one another around you. And so, you know, did the obligatory greeting everybody. And it was fun. I got to see some people I knew to my left and in front of me and behind me. But then as I turned to my right... I realized that that guy I had passed earlier on the street was next to me in worship. And in that moment, how I saw him reversed. Because I didn't just see him as a beggar on the street like I had just a few minutes before. I saw him as a beloved child of God. I saw him as a brother in Christ. Later that day, after church, they invited people who wanted to go get pizza to get pizza. And we actually ended up sitting together and sharing a pizza together. And it was a fun time. And it brought me a lot of joy. But ever since then, I've thought to myself, how many people missed Jesus because they just saw a baby? How many people miss Jesus because they saw just another kid running around the temple? How many people miss Jesus because he looked like everybody else? And I've had to ask myself, how many times have I missed seeing Jesus Christ in other people? Because I've just seen them as a beggar or someone who wants something from me or someone who wants a piece of my time. And I've been thinking lately that when we return to Christmas, what we find is Jesus who had eyes of compassion for every single person he encountered. We find Jesus who had eyes of love 
to see every single person in this world. We find Jesus who saw that every single person in this world was in need of love and in need of a Savior, and that's how he treated them, with love. And I think that's how he wants us to treat other people as well. He wants to reverse how we see other people, but as we see other people with love, as we see other people with care, I think finally Jesus wants to reverse how we see ourselves as well. I think Jesus wants us to see ourselves as people in need of a Savior. Jesus wants us to see that we cannot save ourselves. If you look back at Mary's song that she sang, you'll find that not all of the reversals she sang about were about bringing people from the bottom to the top. Actually, some of the things she sang about were about people going from the top to the bottom. I mean, she says this. She says, Jesus has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has sent the rich away empty. He has scattered the proud. Now, for us, that can seem a little bit challenging or maybe a little bit convicting or a little bit harsh. But actually, this work that Jesus did and this work that Jesus does is actually a great gift to us. Because you see, when we have a lot of money and a lot of resources, our temptation is to think that our money and our resources can fix everything in our lives. When we have power and when we have influence in this world, we tend to think that, you know what, we don't really need God and we don't really need other people. When we're prideful and when we have an inflated view of ourselves, it's easy to think that we can save ourselves and that we can fix this world. But at Christmas, we remember that that's not the case. That Jesus came into this world to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. He came into this world out of love to rescue us and to redeem us. He came into this world to say, look, no amount of money can save you. No amount of power and privilege can fix things in your life. No, you can't save yourself. And when we come to that place as people, and we begin to see ourselves as people who are in desperate need of a Savior, it's then and only then that Jesus can enter in and that Jesus can arrive in our hearts and our lives and that he can save us and transform us. So I don't know how you view yourself this morning. If you count yourself among the rich or the poor, if you think of yourself as someone who is hungry or someone who has plenty to eat, I don't know if you see yourself as ugly or as beautiful or as powerful or powerless. I'm not sure what labels you're putting on yourself this morning. But I just want to remind you that at Christmas we discover that the label God has for you is loved. Loved and worthy of salvation. That's how God sees you. And when you're willing to open up your heart, and when you're willing to open up 
your life to Jesus and to let him come in and to receive that love and that salvation for yourself, what you will discover is that it is the greatest gift ever and that it will bring you more joy than any pretzel, any cookie dough, any candles, any video games. It will bring you more joy than anything that we can receive or anything that we can give. It's the source of true joy in our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love and for coming into this world. God, we thank you that you stepped down out of heaven and emptied yourself, that you came as one who was poor among the poor to give us the riches of salvation. God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see that you are with us and that you are for us and that you are able to do amazing things in our lives. And God, we pray that you would help us to see other people with the eyes that you see them with. God, that you would help us to see other people with compassion and love. God, finally, we ask this morning that you would help us to see ourselves as you see us. As people who are in need of a Savior and as people who have received that Savior in Jesus Christ. God, open up our hearts this morning. Reverse the areas that need reversing. God, turn us upside down if we need it. God, do what only you can do. Thank you for the gift of Christmas. Amen. Oh, uh-huh.